Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us here on the podcast, episode forty-eight. Um, we've got a uh, we've got a special episode here coming up for you as we are planning on making an announcement sometime here during the show. But we're not going to do that right away. Otherwise, you're going to tune in for the announcement and then just kind of leave because you saw the big news. Um, that said, we do have. Um, a couple important pieces of news to talk about tonight, as well as a couple other interesting topics. Um, first, on a somber note, um, it was announced today that um, Carl Ernst passed away yesterday at the age of 80. Um, many of you know him from his countless works on turtles and tortoises, um, but most especially from his uh, Turtles of the United States and Canada book, which he published originally with... Um, with Barber, and then the second edition he published with uh, Jeff Lovich. Um, Jeff Lovich is also a good friend of ours, and he's the one who I heard the news from. Uh, many of you may not realize that Carl, um, born, raised, and retired here in Lancaster County, where the Turtle Room is actually headquartered. Um, sadly, I will not be able to get to the memorial service on Wednesday, but uh, I will be sharing my condolences with uh, the family and his friends. Um, Anthony, man, hard to, hard to believe another one of our turtle heroes is, is gone, you know? Well, I, I think a lot of people said it well, obviously, um, you know, um, it's always so sad to see this type of, uh, news come across and what makes it more sad is, is the amount of people you say, you, you see saying, you know, I, I'm. I really regret not having a chance to meet that person, and that that really is, um, that really is a very sad thing. Uh, we idolize a lot of these these people who have dedicated their lives to to studying a, a subject that we're very um, that we care a lot about, and it's a real shame. So, if anything, I think we take it as a reminder that we need to, you know, be diligent about. Um, kind of learning as much as we can from people while they're here, um, taking the opportunities that we get and, and um, you know, taking it seriously, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's just really sad news. Indeed. Um, I, I never actually got to meet him in, in person, um, even though he lives uh, not too far away. Um, but... Uh, I know several folks around here who did get to meet him. Um, he uh, spoke a couple times at the Lancaster Herp Society meetings. And so I at least have a few friends who got to meet him through that experience. Um, actually, I, I need to figure out some more details. It's actually possible my dad had him for biology in high school, which is kind of a weird connection if, if true. Um, I didn't realize it until reading this obituary that I've got on screen here that his teaching career began at Hempfield High School, which is where my dad would have gone in, uh, in let's see, in the 19, early don't, 1970s. Don't so, date yourself now. Uh, I'm dating my dad more than I'm dating myself. Um, but anyway, so Carl Ernst passed away at the age of 80. Um he died 80 in September, so he was about 80 and one month. If, if I can add, that piece, I'm not sure if I made the point, but that piece, a lot of the, the 
the comments um, that I saw over the last 24 hours when this news broke, a, a lot of folks saying, man, I really wish I had the opportunity to meet him. And that's why, that's why I want to make the statement that I did. And um, the other piece is something that Eric Muncher, a, a great friend of ours said, was that he's cited, you know, Dr. Ernst's work so many times um, in his own work. And I think that's, that's something that speaks volumes. And it's so true. You don't see a, almost anything that's published without either citing the Turtles of the World book, which I think was from 1992, and then the um, Turtles of the U.S. and Canada, which, you know, there's several volumes of. Um, those books are so important, and they, they're still cited in, in so many works that, that are published to this day. Um, and that just, I think that speaks um, as much as anything about a person and their, you know, contributions to uh, a world that really meant a lot to them. So, um, Carl Ernst will be really missed. And, um, I think we're all very lucky that we've had him in our world. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so, uh, actually if you go to debordsnyder.com slash Dr. Hyphen Carl hyphen H hyphen Ernst, um, there's a place there where you can leave, uh, read his obituary and leave messages of condolence to his family. Um, if you uh, need to need that link, uh, you can feel free to email us or um, check out. Uh, I think uh, the Turtle Survival Alliance's Facebook page, and I copied their post. I think the link to the obituary is there. If not, we'll make sure we get it up on Facebook as well. Um, we know he's t he's just touched so many turtle lovers' lives through his through his work and through his passion. Right. Um, the other thing we wanted to talk about is many of you heard, uh, how, how long is it, 10 days now, Anthony? Um, I'd say roughly, yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you specifically. Uh, all of us remember back in April when, I think it was April, right? It's April or May, uh, when more than 10,000 radiated tortoises were confiscated in Madagascar and... Um, not long ago, it happened again, and not quite that many, uh, but this time it was 7,000. So we're talking about 17,000, 18,000 radiated tortoises confiscated over the last uh, seven months, just in two different confiscations, not to mention all the smaller um, events that have been um, discovered. Even um, since this uh, this confiscation um, and uh, a group of 600 was found having been used for bushmeat, which is also one of the major stresses on the radiated tortoise. So once again, the Turtle Survival Alliance is in need of funding and <clears throat> assistance to help combat um, this large-scale confisca confiscation. Um, Right now, I've got the Turtle Survival Alliance's Facebook page up on the screen. You can uh, hop over to their Facebook page and check out some of the updates on this most recent confiscation. Overall, the condition of these tortoises was better than that of the 10,000 confiscated in April. However, they are still um, light in weight, dehydrated, and weak overall. Um, about 85 tortoises have passed just... Uh, between uh, the 29th and 30th of October. Um, but uh, things are sounding like they're 
they're being able to manage it, I guess, is the best way to put it. And uh, it doesn't look like we're going to lose a significant percentage of these animals. Um, but this puts a lot of animals in captivity that currently have nowhere else to go. So that alone um, is, a, is a vast undertaking to house 18,000 of one species. It's amazing. It's, it's, I, my mind goes in so many different directions when this stuff goes on. Um, it's really sad, first of all, you know, as an animal lover, somebody who, who loves radiated tortoises, uh, they're such a breathtaking species. And, you know, the, the very obvious and unfortunate um, situation that they're in is basically that they're headed for extinction in the wild um, at some point with the way that they're poached. This is not sustainable at all. And um, anytime this many get are, are you know, confiscated, it, it's often thought that they're, you know, obviously there are people who are getting away with it and, and those aren't being um, captured in the numbers. And then um, the thing that really worries me is when stuff like this happens, you know, we become desensitized, desensitized to it, you know, after 20 years of seeing violence covered in the news or violence in video games. Like I can remember when the blood code in Mortal Kombat was like a really, uh, a really wild thing that you, you know, you'd have to put in this fake code in Sega. This is dating myself um, a little bit, but um, actually I, I look older than I am, so I won't date myself that much, but um, that was like a wild thing. You'd be like, how the heck could we allow this violence, you know, into our kids' living rooms? And now like, forget it, right? Um, over time, you know, it, you become desensitized to that sort of stuff. And if just as a casual observer, um, I have not taken an active role in the, in the radiated tortoise stuff besides, obviously, we, we've interviewed folks who, who were on the ground there to try to spread awareness. But as far as actually giving money, you know, we've donated money to the T TSA. Um, we're not necessarily donors. We donate time and, and stuff like that more than anything. But um, just as an observer from the outside, it really appears that this 7,000, this confiscation of 7,000 that's happening right now has made a much smaller splash than the 10,000. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it has. I mean, Manga Bay did pick it up, but it has not been been picked up in as many uh news outlets as the first one was and even even that was was picked up far less than anybody really would have would have hoped um you know in in general the general public didn't didn't hear about it um it wasn't on on the news it wasn't it wasn't anywhere and like if you mention it to somebody they're like that that ten thousand of one species was found confiscated packed in a in a house which is where that first group was they, they look at you in shock, like, how did I not hear about this? And it's because, because turtles and tortoises don't tend to draw the attention that sea turtles even draw. Mm -hmm. They're uh, cute. They're the girl next door. They're cute. They're not sexy. They're not megafauna. We get that. But yeah. I think, and, and that's not, when I, when I say that, it's, it's not, when I say that, you know, this has gotten less coverage, it's not a, uh, in any way, um, uh, should in any way, attempt to illustrate the the or or um show the the efforts that have been put forth by um folks like the tsa and the turtle conservancy and you know to on a much smaller level us um 
it's more just exactly like you said, things are not, don't seem to be getting picked up and shared as much. I think we get desensitized to, um, to this sort of thing and it becomes kind of the norm and that's, and that's unfortunate, but it really is the norm. I mean, this is a huge confiscation. Um, the second largest confiscation I've ever heard of, of, of any turtles. Right. I mean, the, the first was the largest. And then after that, I think like the, the, um, the um, Cibarachella latensis, the yeah. Palawan forest turtle. Yeah, that, was, that would that, that was, was like thirty eight hundred. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thirty eight hundred. I think that was a large one. Well, that uh, one was, was was large comparatively because there that was right. more than we thought existed. Right. The shocking part of that one was right. you think there's only a couple thousand in the wild, and then all of a sudden you find thirty eight hundred that have been recently taken out of the wild and it's just like whoa um and so for the the comparison percentage wise of the radius aided tortoise is a relative drop in the bucket to that one but it's still staggering numbers that aren't that aren't sustainable uh, right. the smallest uh, you know amount uh, of imagination it's just it's just not sustainable um on on one hand there is a significant population in captivity in the range country now which, well, you hate the reason they're there. It isn't terrible that they're in captivity where they can be cared for and hopefully be preserved. Um, there is work, research, and efforts being undertaken by Turtle Survival Alliance, uh, led by Josh Lucas of the Oklahoma City Zoo, um, to try to develop a plan to protect land and re-release these into the wild where they can live naturally. But no telling um, what this, how long research is going to take or how long it's going to take to develop a plan to get them back into the wild. At the same time, we can't release animals back into the wild unless their area is protected at this point. Otherwise, they could literally just end up back in the same place we just found them. And yeah. so um, it isn't realistic to remove them from Madagascar either because... Ideally, their range country is where they should be. And we should not be bringing animals out of Madagascar to the United States just because they, they've been, um, or to Europe or wherever, just because they've been confiscated in the range country. They shouldn't be leaving there. They should be cared for in, in captivity there until such a time as we can protect the land and release them without risking them being poached again. Right, right. And you said, you know, ending up in the same place. I think if if we're lucky, they end up in the same place in a way, in a sense. Obviously, we hope they wouldn't be poached at all. But if they are, I mean, that would at least mean that somebody's getting caught, um, which, uh, again, I, I don't think um, always happens. I think the majority of the time poachers are not being caught. I don't know if they're always getting 10,000 tortoises out of the uh, range country or not. But um, I don't know. Uh, I at least am happy to see that people are getting caught. But then when you see that they get, you know, the proverbial slap on the wrist, then that's also kind of disheartening as well from people who, for people who, you know, dedicate their lives to trying to make the world a better place for turtles and tortoises. That's pretty rough to uh, see all the time. So true. Um, I did hear um, some hypothesis um, from some reputable folks that suggested one of the reasons these large confiscations have been able to happen is because uh, some of the market for the pet trade has dried up 
and they aren't quite as valuable as they had been. So they end up getting stockpiled and not shipped out as quickly because um, people don't want them quite as much as they did even a year ago. Um, How many have already been pushed into the pet market in, in Southeast Asia? So the middlemen who got the animals for cheap would rather sit on them and have them dying in warehouses than sell them for cheaper. Exactly. Because if they can wait long enough for the price to go up, it won't matter that they've lost a hundred of them or whatever the case might be. Um, It's amazing. So uh, laws of supply and demand. Um, No way. I don't really know if that's true, but the hypothesis is one reason they're, they're just being stashed and, and caught in such large numbers is because some of the demand for the supply has dried up after the supply has been taken out of the wild. So um, only time will really tell if that's, if that's the case. Um, but a shame either way, this is not really what we want to keep seeing every, every six months. Yeah. And it stinks. I mean, you know, we, we're here to have fun, right? Look, uh, the pod, the, the podcast is supposed to be a fun, a fun thing where we could share, you know, good news and, and, uh, get good information for folks and have a good time. And, and it's unfortunate that it seems almost every month when we get together, we're talking about something like this. Um, on some level, it's really unfortunate because um, it's supposed to be a happy thing. Turtles, everybody likes turtles, man. Everybody, maybe that's the yeah, problem. Once they, once they get to know them, everybody loves turtles. Maybe that's, maybe that's the problem is that everybody likes them, including bad people who are willing to do whatever it takes to make a buck. Um, or at least they know that that's probably more like it. But um, I, I always, when I talk to my when I talk to my wife and I have to give her news, even if it's good news, I'll always ask her, do you want the bad news or the good news? Um, sometimes I'll add different stuff. Or do you want the great news? It's just a whole bunch of stuff just to mess with her because she's like a worry wart. So she gets all freaked out and she always bless her heart. She always asks for the bad news first, always. And that's what we're doing for you. The viewer tonight is hitting you with the bad news early so that we can have fun uh, towards the end of the show. So, um, hopefully we can move on to, to more positive topics now. Um, or at least move towards a, I was going to say, we're going to hit the hot button topic for the <laughs> a controversial topic next. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's hit the hot button. Uh, that's, that's my reminder to everyone that it will get positive. Okay. It will, it's not there yet, but it will get positive soon. So it will. Um, obviously, the first thing we discussed, uh, the passing of Carl Ernst, it was, it was a last-minute addition to tonight's show, um, but we definitely felt like it, it needed needed mentioned. Um, we had been hoping to have at least uh, somebody on with us um, to kind of help portray some different sides of um, this next discussion, but so Anthony and I will try to cover both of them ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Anthony, I'll let you introduce this, and then uh, when you're ready, I'll pop something up here on the screen. That sounds terrific. That sounds terrific. So um, I have been contacted by a lot of people. I think, Steve, you have as well. Just out of the blue, folks who you know are great contacts of ours, respected people kind of in the in the hobby, in the industry, in um, you know, herpetology, the whole, the whole nine yards. And... Um, uh, some people really, really disgruntled about um, a new business that has popped up that is um, selling tortoise eggs, okay? And it's kind of an interesting, I see it as a really interesting uh, business model, if nothing else. Um, a lot of people are, are very frustrated and, and angered by the fact that somebody would ship 
um, eggs and that that's, you know, a huge risk. Um, I certainly understand when I first saw that, that this business was going to, um, was going to be a thing, whatever that means for lack of better, uh, better terms. Um, I was definitely taken aback. Um, you know, I, when I get an egg, I am careful. Even when it hasn't banded yet, it's like 10 minutes old. I'm not turning it. I'm very, um, I'm very, very careful with it. When I go to visit Chris Leone, who gets, you know, a million and a half eggs every year, he, you know, treats them much less delicately than I do because he knows what he can get away with because he hatches so many more eggs than I have in my life. Um, he hatches more in a year than I've hatched in my life, probably 10 times more in a year than I've hatched in my entire life. So um, there's a different knowledge there. And I think willingness to kind of, you know, do what it takes to just kind of quickly get the job done or whatever. I've got all day to nothing else matters. I'll just take care of my eggs. Um, so I was really skeptical from a personal standpoint, whether um, this would be something that would be able to, you know, actually work out. Like how much are you really risking by shipping them? How often are they actually going to make it? And I still don't know the answer to that. But um, since then, uh, this business has been able to send out eggs to people. Um, the price is kind of high. The price for an egg is, is a lot of times more than uh, an actual hatchling would be, but you're buying the experience. Um, as somebody who tries to, to breed a lot of different species and has bred a lot of different species, there's been a lot of species that I've kept and have put my heart and soul and blood and tears and, and sweat and time and everything else into and haven't been able to hatch the species. And some of them I've, you know, given up on without actually ever making it to the promised land, so to speak. Um, so I understand how, um, how important it is to be able to say, yes, I hatched that species before and, and knowing what that experience is like, because it's like the ultimate reward. So he's giving you the ultimate reward without you having to put the work in. And I think for some people that makes sense. I still have some concerns about the amount, uh, like the percentages of these eggs that are surviving, but I do know that they are surviving. Some are surviving. I don't know how many, but I do know some significant are. percentage. He's had good success rate. Um, yeah, I haven't heard. I figured when I first saw it, I thought there's going to be a ton of people who are disgruntled who are going to come out and say, I've tried this five times and haven't hatched one. You know what I mean? So I think it's really cool and um, interesting. And I, I understand both sides 100%. Um, I pride myself on, you know, trying to see things from different perspectives. And I really see it from both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. The one thing though too is I haven't heard I haven't heard anything from anybody disgruntled who had per who's purchased anything from uh, and so I put the website up Tort Stork. Um everybody I've heard have a, a bad word to say has just been the concept, the um, you know, the implications of more unwanted tortoises as they grow up and those kinds of things. And well, I I don't want to say they're they're not legitimate. Um, I just think it's interesting that most of the complaints aren't from people who have done business with, with torch torque um, in, in particular. And I think part of the, part of the thing is if you, you buy an egg, you know, that 
um, it's not it's not guaranteed to hatch. Although one of the things he's started doing is with some species that can handle it right before hatch, and he's calling them insta-hatch, um, you ship them very late instead of very early, and then they hatch, you know, a day or two after somebody has received them, which, uh, talk about buying the experience, you get to, you know, see a tortoise hatch, like, right after getting the egg, which, for a classroom, um, or some other educational environments, really interesting concept, if, if you ask me, and, you know, part of this comes from a teacher, granted, I have high school, um, not, like, middle school or elementary school, where you might, you know, work something like this into the, uh, into your classroom a little bit more, but um, I, th I think it's an interesting concept that he's got going, and I have to be honest that, um, you know, Chris Leone helped, um, helped Randy test this process by being a recipient for a couple of eggs, so Randy could work out shipping issues, because obviously you would imagine keeping the egg protected, etc., and shipping is a, is a big concern, um, so uh, you know, Chris has helped work out some of those kinks uh, with Randy. And um, on top of that, one of the other things that Randy's doing at Torch Stork is anybody who purchases an animal gets to pick um, either the Turtle Room or the Turtle Survival Alliance for a $10 donation per egg to go to. And that even doesn't even go to the eggs necessarily, even if he, even if it's a tortoise as he's already hatched. So any animal, egg, or already hatched that you buy from Torch Stork, $10 either comes to us or to the Turtle Survival Alliance. And so um, Randy took that initiative on himself to say, hey, I want to, you know, give back to conservation, you know, th through this as well. And now the audience knows that we are biased because of that. Well, and you'd be upfront. And it's not, I, I don't know that, you know, I, I totally get what people are saying about you know, sending sulcata eggs because of how many sulcatas need other homes. But I would think, and I might be wrong, but I would think that seeing the tortoise hatch develops an even stronger connection with the kid or the whoever that's bought that egg that might actually lead them to be planning more for caring for a large tortoise if, for instance, they bought a sulcata egg. Um, you know, I could be wrong in that. But um, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I was joking, of course, when I said that we're biased. I mean, really, um, I'm not going to sit here, you know, for – and I do really appreciate what Randy's done as, as far as what he's doing with the donations. But I also think it's an important part of his business model because, you know, he was definitely – I can remember when this first came out – he was under a lot of fire at that point um, from people, naysayers and stuff like that. And it kind of just, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of, of what people do sometimes with, when someone has a high price in general, because people do complain about his, high, his prices too. Well, because but, of the risk. It's about right. the same as an already hatched animal, but right. yeah, and he could just wait until it's that animal and then charge right. the same amount. Make sure so, it's eating, make sure it's ready, strong enough to, to be sent, that sort of thing. Um Totally, totally. Um, but it just it's it just kind of seems um, to parallel those conversations a little bit um, that I see, and it makes sense for him to put something in there where you know he's trying to support conservation and and trying to do um, good stuff. And I should also just say that he just seems to be the most you know honest, nice, um, you know, uh, easy to get along with guy that I've met. 
And um, that's a really good thing too. But um, yeah, I, I still, you know, I would love to know if I could just know exactly how many that have been sent survived and how many didn't. Again, I've, I think I've been positively impressed with the lack of people complaining about it. And um, I haven't seen a single person come out and be upset about the service that they received. And for people like us who are that plugged in with, you know, turtle and tortoise happenings um, online and otherwise, you figure it's eventually going to come up at some point. I've seen this come up a ton. And this is the reason we're talking about it, because it's a it's a polarizing, important, unique eye-catching situation that you've never seen anything like it before so everyone's going to be talking about it and they are and including us right now um so to not see all of the negative is why over time i've kind of swayed i'm not just going to say oh it's cool because there's no such thing as bad publicity yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I'm not going to say, oh, this is, you know, from, from my own personal standpoint, I'm not going to say this is great because he decided to give us, you know, 10 bucks per sale or give it to the TSA, which is tremendous as well. I'm not going to say, oh, he's a great guy. You know, um, this is okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not gonna... I just, I'm still not 100% sold on it at all because I'm not a person who's been buying these eggs. But I'm, I'm coming around. I'm coming he, around for sure. He's actually offered to send me one for free just so I could, you know, have a, a good pro, uh, hopefully, you know, have an egg hatch and just, and be able to, you know, visually inspect his shipping and everything myself. But I just haven't had the ability to go put it someplace, you know, how's a tortoise, an extra tortoise at the time he, he had mentioned that, but we should do this. Let's call him out. Let's tell him we want, we want him to send them to all the people in the turtle room and we'll test it out for them. And then we'll be here the next podcast to tell everyone how they did or a future podcast, depending. Cause that, I should also say, so, you know, for those who haven't hatched a, a turtle or, or a reptile before from an egg, um, you know, eggs can't, th these are not like um, for the most part turtles across the board. There, there are no live bearing turtles and there are no turtles that would, you know, stay and jumble up the eggs. Um, so what I'm saying is in Jurassic Park, when they go behind the scenes and they're checking out the place where the eggs are hatching, there are machines that are turning the eggs like um, like you would do with a bird egg. Right. Like when you're incubating chicken eggs or whatever, you need an egg turner. Reptile eggs obviously don't need that. The embryos attach uh, to, they do attach, right, to the, yes. to the eggshell. And when they're turned, then they drown. So you have to make sure. That's why when you see pictures of people uh, incubating eggs and you see the, the pictures online, you see an X on the top of the egg or they usually write with pencil on the top of the egg. That's so that you know in case my daughter's jumbled up egg containers before or, or touch them. And then I just look and one egg happens to be turned, even though it was like a closed container, how the heck did that happen? But you never know. So if, if you don't mark the egg, then, then you would never know. And that egg just wouldn't hatch because it was into um, development and, and got turned. So basically that's why what Steve was describing, he'll send some that are really late in, in development or uh, he'll also send some that are really early in development. What, what he'll do. And up until the, this recent thing that he's done where he's um sending out i think all i saw was sulcata hatchlings right 
No, he does. Um, Marjorie determines. Um, he sends those when they're about to hatch. Um, the I think the only ones he's doing insta hatch with are the sulcatas. Right, that's what uh, I was saying. That's what I was saying. The insta hatch. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't know what the what the term was for it. So the right. the insta hatch ones are um are sulcatas, but those are sent before they're going to hatch. Those are uh, tough little tortoises. You know, he thinks they oh, can he's, doing, oh, he's got actually insta hatch. I was just looking at the website. He's got um he this year did Russians, Eastern Hermans, Salkatas, Cherry Heads, Leopards, Iberia Greeks, Golden Greeks. Wow. So that part of it's kind of interesting to me too. So he's he gets the eggs and then he wants to sell them and he'll tell people like, hey, this tortoise just laid eggs. Let me know if you want one, you know, by the end of the day because I have to ship them tomorrow or whatever. If you're doing that, this if time. you're doing yeah. the, the immediate ship one, correct. Because basically once... Once they, you know, after a certain amount of time, they will start to develop and then can no longer be turned and therefore can no longer be shipped. I, you know, um, I think I think one of the things that's important to note is he's doing this only with only with tortoise species, and we know that most freshwater turtles have much more fragile eggs than tortoises do. They many of them are leathery instead of like harder, like tortoise eggs tend to be. And he's also working with species that are kind of known for their hardiness and whatever else as well. Um, right. You know, the other thing I think we should mention to our viewers too is why Randy got this idea. And um, in case you don't know the backstory, and this is, I think, my favorite part of it is when, when Randy was a kid, he desperately wanted to hatch a tortoise, uh, you know, a tortoise egg. And so he wrote to breeders and everything, trying to get somebody willing to send him an egg. And he was willing to pay the same price as the animal and just and pay the shipping and assume all the risk and nobody would send him one. And so now that he's got herds of adult tortoises, um, he was like, I'm going to give people the chance that I, I never got. And that's where, where part of the story comes from. And I think that's kind of cool that like some like a dream that somebody had from from childhood, they're kind of making a reality for other people. That's really cool. That's really cool. But I'm still not sold. Well, uh, I, and you know, I get it. And it's one of those things where I, I'm not necessarily sold in the fact that, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump at it and buy an animal this way myself. But I totally understand why somebody would love to experience the hatch and not just, you know, buying an animal, uh, you know, even a couple months in, there's something really unique to see, seeing that animal when it first pops out of the shell and I mean, no matter how many eggs you hatch, you, you granted it hasn't been very many for me, but it, you don't get it doesn't get old to see that fresh face pop out of the egg. And so, like, I totally understand why people would go for it. And at, at the same time, I don't know that I have the reservation of, hey, these animals are are going to end up unwanted pets like all the red ear sliders and sulcatas that are out there. And um, here's the reason why I would say, I don't think that's going to happen. One, the buyer's assuming a lot of risk here, more than you do when you buy a one to two month old started sulcata or red eared slider. A lot more risk here and a lot more money than you pay for, especially a red eared slider and even more than you normally pay for an already hatched sulcata. Mm-hmm. 
I think that remove, I think the pricing and the risk helps remove some of that. This is going to end up as an unwanted pet thing because people are making a bigger investment up front than they would otherwise. It makes sense. But again, uh, you know, I'm not an economist. So um, I, I, again, I could be wrong there. Um, but that, that's just my opinion on that argument. Um, other than that, I don't see it super different than shipping, you know, young baby turtles. Um, but I, I understand how people will totally see how, how it's a hot button issue. Like no qualms about that, but um, I have a hard time speaking bad about what he's doing because I, I don't, I don't necessarily see uh, the same angle that other people do. Uh, maybe that's the businessy side of me or whatever, but um, you know, I don't know. That word is pronounced economist. 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 I can't remember where the accent on that one goes. <laughs> I think you put that the accent on, on the wrong. Yeah, on the on the wrong syllable. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. It, Sorry. Yeah. That's all. Once you said it, I couldn't hear anything else. So you could have said something really profound, but I missed it. Yeah, it happens, right? It does. It does. Not to you, usually. Usually it's me, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'll take it. I'll take you not being perfect. Terrific. Let's move it on. It happens. There. And yep. Lisa will tell you it happens more often than I say it does. <laughs> I'm sure she will. She's very honest. And she hates you. I'm just kidding. That's what wives are for. Um. So yeah, I think this will come up again. This will come up again, whether it's on a podcast or not. I'm, you know, it's it's a it's a big story. It's a big issue. Uh, it's a it's a as we said, a hot button topic that kind of has people on either side, and um, I respect that. I definitely do, and I understand it. Um, yeah, I I, I well, I have a hard time representing the I really hate this idea perspective here. Um, I, I totally understand why certain people do. And uh, like I said, when we got to this topic, we really wanted to have somebody on who was kind of on that side to really yeah. kind of let that flow, but it just, we just weren't able to make that happen. So, and I think it for, and I hate to end with a negative because remember we we're trying to start with the bad news and end with the good news. This was supposed to move towards good. And I think it has, but now I just want to reiterate, I want to make sure since you and I kind of are not as angered by this as other folks are, um, two two uh angles that people are kind of pushing number one is pricing is that you know it's, okay so what i'm hearing is buyer assumes a risk and you get more money for an animal than if you hatched it out so looks like you're lazy you're getting more money i'm taking a bunch of risk what's yeah. up with that and I, then the, the other one if, if if i can just say the, the other one is um the animal welfare, from the animal welfare perspective, if I'm hatching out animals and one hatches out with a deformity or if one dies in the egg or whatever because of shipping or, or whatever it is, like there, are, there's a certain amount of suffering potentially that could be avoided if it's not being shipped as an egg. If you're making sure that it's a strong animal from the get-go and that it's eating and that right. everything else is all taken care of, 
yeah. than you know from from an animal care uh, um, animal welfare perspective. Then it's it's yeah. it makes sense. But yeah, I can the say one, the same thing about shipping hatchling turtles in general. Yeah, yeah. The the one pricing thing I do want to point right. out, and because it's, we've it's come up a couple times, is the freshly laid eggs that haven't even started developing he like for let's take ibera greeks um because i was able to find three different price points for these on the website um and i don't know what other people's going prices are but uh one that he's actually hatched and is you know well started you know month old or so he sells for two hundred dollars the freshly laid egg he only sells for a hundred and twenty five dollars so it's not like he's selling the fresh egg for the same as one that he's incubated and raised for a month now the insta hatch egg goes for about the same price as the month started one but i think that's because there's a lot less risk shipping the egg right before it's going to hatch turning it doesn't matter as much etc right because there's not much liquid in the egg right uh, yeah a day or two before hatch there's almost probably no liquid in the egg at that point um just some of that you know, semi-solid yolk, you know, to be absorbed, I would think. So, hmm. all right. Timing this worked out really well. This is about what I was hoping we'd do right. there. All right. So, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, um, the 18 live viewers we currently have, plus a bunch of other people who are going to watch this later and see this announcement on other places as well. Um, here's our big announcement. And Anthony's wearing Raphael's head um, for the announcement. Was that your Halloween costume? Yeah. Awesome. All right. So um, Raphael and myself are here to tell you that the Turtle Room is officially announcing the transition to a nonprofit organization. Um, so uh, we're making that, this announcement first on here. And we're going to be releasing this through other channels here as we wrap up this episode and shortly thereafter. Um, so many, some of you may not know that we haven't actually been operating as a nonprofit for the past many years, but we are officially making that switch. Um, we've already filed our form 1023 with the IRS, which is the form that you use to apply for 501c3 status. Federal law under Internal Revenue Code 501c3 allows you to start collecting tax deductible donations after you've filed that form. And so from, and then we actually um, incorporated in Pennsylvania on August 3rd, ended up being the official date. PA was really slow with getting us actual information on that for whatever reason. But so any donations made to the Turtle Room after August 3rd are tax deductible for you to write on, put on your um, taxes for next year. So we're really excited to make this move. Um, we believe it will enable us to continue to grow our education, conservation, and research efforts, as well as our partnerships with Turtle Survival Alliance, Turtle Conservancy, and others. Um, we are looking for donors who are willing to help cover legal fees, as well as some of the other application fees we've had to pay. Um, they aren't insignificant costs. We wanted to make sure that we were doing everything correctly and by the book so we wouldn't have to rewrite bylaws later because we messed up something now. Uh, we wanted to make sure everything was done accurately to make the process as streamlined as possible. And so again, not really the cheapest thing to do. So anybody who'd be willing to, you know, 
send us a small donation. We'd more than appreciate it. For instance, we have um, more than 10,000 YouTube subscribers. We've got 20,000 plus Facebook followers. We've got almost 30,000 Instagram followers. If even just a fraction of you would donate a dollar or two, we'd be able to cover most of those costs pretty quickly. Um, 30,000 Instagram followers? Almost. almost. Yeah, it's oh, coming up on yeah. that. Um, anyway. I think like 14,000 on YouTube too. Is it up to 14? I knew it was over 10. But anyway, so um, the sooner yes. we get these startup fees covered, um, the quicker we can um, put uh, our funding towards our conservation projects. Um, the Wood Turtle Project that began a year and a half ago, we really would like to um, put some more into that. Also looking at another possible um, population monitoring effort here in Pennsylvania with some other species. Um, we've got the Terrapin Nesting Project in Leeds Point, New Jersey, headed um, by Casey Leone, that um, we'd uh, we have some things on the wish list to improve that project for next year. So um, eventually, we'll have a specific uh, fund on our website set up, or you could donate specifically to that um, in the future. Also, our 2019 calendar has been available for a couple of weeks now. You can hop onto our online store to buy that. Um, some of the proceeds from that also go to the. Uh, Turtle Survival Alliance, like they have the last several years. So if you hop on there, you can support both organizations at once um, and so on. Is there anything I missed about that announcement that excites you, Anthony? Uh, that was a two-part question. The first part, is there anything you missed? No. Is there anything that excites me? I think what really kind of tickles me a little bit about it, if I'm kind of an outsider looking at this, I think see people possibly saying, weren't you already a nonprofit? Like you've been around for a little while now. Like I've known about yep. you for a while, your conservation organization. Um, what the hell is that all about? So um, I think for us, it's really been a long time coming and we've really, we've been discussing it for a really long time and bless his heart. Steve is very particular, very calculated in what he does. We weren't going to do this if we weren't going to do it the right way. And that was something that he said all the time. I'm more of an idea guy. I'm like, just let's just do it. And then end up getting in trouble later on because I jump into things. Um, <laughs> I, you know, Steve's wife, Lisa, is, you know, a professional um, who, who deals with this sort of stuff all the time. Um, so, you know, we had really good guidance, but then also, you know, Steve had a lot to risk and they had a lot to risk by just jumping into this without actually being really thoughtful about it and, and calculated and all the rest of it. So, um, it's a really good place to be at and it feels especially good for us because of that, because it's been something that forever we've been kind of harping on talking about whatever and to be to be able to actually see it come to fruition is is absolutely amazing and uh, you know this experience with the turtle room has been something that i never could have um never could have envisioned from the beginning we had no idea really what we were doing when we first started uh we just knew that if we kept doing things the right way and kept caring and working together that something really cool would come out of it. And this, this is a really big step and a really big um, accomplishment for us. And um, I just wanted to thank Steve, our, our amazing leader and um, website maker extraordinaire and all that type of stuff. He's amazing and does so many things that the rest of us can't. So 
Thank you, Steve, and thank you, everyone else who contributed. And man, who knows what the heck we're going to get into next? But it's really exciting to to be working with you guys and and to to be doing everything we can to try to make the world a better place for turtles and tortoises. It's terrific. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, thanks for being my right hand man. Um, you've been um, with me longer than anybody who's uh, still currently on staff. Um, you you've definitely been my right hand man, and um, I appreciate everything you do to help. Help me out, help back uh, the turtle room up. Um, and yeah, for, so for those of you who are like, well, how, if you're like, well, if you haven't been a nonprofit, how have you been doing all this and over the last several years? And granted, you guys have helped support us through buying t shirts and calendars and stumps and other things. But, um, you know, we, we've done a lot of personal funding into all of these projects and things uh, uh, and lots of time, which is, the part we can still uh, afford to give um, even. And I should point out that while we do need um, several thousand dollars to cover startup costs, uh, many of our staff members have already pitched in chunks of money as well um, to help narrow that. So it is, we believe in what we're doing, which is why uh, many of us have already given financially to our goal. Um, right now we, we, so you can donate on our website at the turtle room.com slash donate. Um, we've set up a GoFundMe page and we'll get a link to that on Facebook in a little bit. Um, you can use that instead right now. The goal on, um, on GoFundMe is 3000 for now. Um, just wanted to put something since we're not only fundraising exclusively through GoFundMe, we didn't put the whole goal on there um, for now. But as that if that grows, we'll toss a bigger goal up on there. Um, yeah, so thank you for all you've done to support us over the past uh, many years. This is podcast episode 48, which we wouldn't be here if it weren't for our great audience. Um you guys have done just so much to help support us and watching our educational materials and uh, showing up at events and, and to our volunteers, um, Anthony, Casey, Chris, Andrew, Rodney, Amanda, Ben, Kevin Minto, Kevin Labiel, uh, Michaela, Matt, Michaela, John, who helped start the podcast, That's Joe right. Sullivan, who's, who was my first partner at the Turtle Room and has been in and out, um, and even even Jared, uh, who helped um, fund some things for us, and uh, and Curtis Ippolito, who's who's done some writing for us in the past, etc. Um, there's been a lot of people who've helped make this uh, what it is now and make things possible, and uh, we're really grateful to each and every one of you. Um, so thank you. That's so sweet. I'm going to start crying over here. I'm sensitive. Everybody? I I'm sensitive. I have young daughters, so I cry about yeah. everything. Oh, I tear up too quickly too, man. Too quickly. Well, that's, you know, you might be a little too sensitive. I, I, I didn't get like this till I had young daughters. But Am I doing that thing where your friends have kids and like, oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. You are. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Once I said it, I'm like, oh, that's such a bad look. It's the worst, <laughs> the worst thing anyone could do to someone. So I'm going to pull out the kitten card because um, uh, a month ago, my wife and I found a kitten while we were out on a run. It was estimated to be only four weeks old at the time. So we had to bottle feed it and everything. And then like, so two weeks after we found her, my wife had to go away for, uh, for a business trip. And so for about half a week, 
I'm working full time. I'm caring for a kitten that can't care for herself. And we also have one cat who's, um, who's got kidney disease and a pretty aggressive tumor. Um, so he's kind of on the way out. And so that was just an interesting four days to care for um, both cats that were kind of both ends of the spectrum. Um, but anyway, and, and all the turtles. So I was caring for like 67 animals or something during those three days, trying to make sure none of them died. <laughs> and the cats are way worse than the turtles. I understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Turtles are easy. But like, um, uh, you know, um, cats and dogs at the far two ends of the spectrum definitely take some extra time and care. And, um, you know, there's a lot of emotions involved in that because, you know, your, your pets are definitely like your family. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us have been there. Um, you know, as it gets to be that time, you really kind of it's almost like a, a, you're losing a child or something because, you know, they've been with you for so long and you care for them like children. Um, the, you know, fur babies, as a lot of people call them. So I hate that term. But you hate fur babies? Well, so so everyone knows I work. Girls. I'm I'm the marketing guy for uh, you know really large, uh, 24 hour uh, specialty animal hospital, and I I like run the Facebook page for that and everything. And fur babies is such a popular term, and it just gets under my skin. I now. know. No, it just it, it wasn't until I was in that role that yeah, now it's like, oh goodness it. gracious, I can't see. And I want to say it. That's the bad thing. As much as I dislike it, I want to say it when I'm making a post because it just works. Like it, people overuse it because it works. But man, it's just I can't I can't do it. I'm I end up making more work for myself so that I can avoid the term because it's like cute and fitting, and it just flows you know um it's and it's it's silly enough that it gets the point across it in like a comical light way um yeah but it just gets under my skin a lot maybe it's cuz i'm a reptile guy that like i have dogs but like i'm obviously a yeah. reptile guy i don't have a dog podcast okay so let's just leave it at that you know what i mean mic drop Is your mic off or are you just not talking? No, I was just not talking for a second. <laughs> like what just happened? Really, it really was a mic drop. Everybody went silent. The whole audience of, of Steve. That's terrific. <laughs> well, we had one other thing we were going to talk about tonight. And it's fitting since it's almost 8 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in roughly nine days uh several um several nerds of the turtle variety will be um flocking to um flocking to Mesa Arizona for the turtle and um the TTPG uh turtle and tortoise preservation group annual conference there which is really cool because it's it's a conference on captive breeding so for people who are kind of more hobbyists um as we are um, we, uh, will be, yeah, going and, um, talking with others and or talking to others in the form of actual presentations. Um, I have a presentation. I am shaking in my boots right now. If I can just share that and be a little vulnerable right now in front of everybody, I am shaking in my boots. I am going to pee my pants in front of everyone. Now I have spoken at this conference before and it's not necessarily that, um, I chose to get a little philosophical this time and that's enough to make me pee my pants, but I'm also the first presenter of 
the conference. So yeah, I get to travel there and then have a full day of activities, probably stay up later than I should, and then wake up and be the first presenter of the conference. So um, a lot of my friends who I've been talking to leading up to it know um, and have heard this plenty. So um, I've been complaining a ton to everyone. I've been complaining to people at work, to my wife, to my mother, just everybody who will um, lend an ear. So um, yeah, that's something I'm going to have to deal with over the next nine days. And of course, my presentation isn't done yet, but I'm working on it. Um, I had a very good phone call with a very uh, important um, turtle person who um, I'll be speaking about in a short portion of, of my talk. And uh, I'm excited about that. Just so everyone knows, my talk is on um, kind of conservation versus education, not that they're pitted against each other, but we have options as turtle people who are working with endangered animals. Um, I mean, if you're a turtle person, you're probably working with endangered animals, even if you have the very common Socata tortoise that we talked about, that's an endangered species. So anyway, um, when you're working with endangered animals, um, I think you have several options uh, in front of you. And basically my talk will focus on kind of what those options are and pros and cons of taking your work in different directions, if that makes sense. So again, very philosophical, very much based on opinion, um, kind of like a debate type talk, except I won't be debating with anyone. Hopefully that would be really bad. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, I'll be ready, but at the same time, if it turns into a debate, then that means I did something wrong. Um, and, you know, just kind of, posing a challenge to people, if that makes sense. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, at the same time, peeing my pants and just the conference is awesome. Um, it's, you know, a lot of people who are just there because they love the animals and are willing to, you know, use their vacation time, money, uh, and, and all the rest of it to, to, to get there just to have the opportunity to talk to like-minded people. And that's, that's a really special thing. Um, in my opinion, you know, when you get to have that. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope to see some of you there. I was just chatting with uh, James Hall, who is uh, now an Arizonian. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Um, Arizona, I think. Arizonian? Arizonan, I think. Arizonan. I think. I'm not, don't quote me on that. But I don't um, think it's Arizonian. Is Ari, Ari, am I thinking like Amazon, Amazonian? You are thinking of Amazonian. It is Arizonan. Just double checked. It is Arizonan. See, I just made it up like I, like I knew that that's what it was. Because I meet people from Arizona all the time and call them Arizonians, apparently. So they're Arizonans. So James Hall is lives in Arizona now, um, recently moved to Arizona. He's a, he's a zoologist. I call him a zoologist. He works for a zoo. And uh, he was just telling me how excited he is to meet me there. And I'm even more excited to meet him there. And this is going to be great. I can't even tell you. This is terrific. This is what it's all about, you know, meeting like-minded people who you've been talking to for a long time. Um, last time I went there, I met people who I've known for, you know, more than a decade um, through email and online forums and Facebook and all that type of stuff. And then to actually be able to meet them and hang out is like nothing else. It's just terrific. So um, if you haven't been to one of these types of conferences, you know, the TSA conference is every August. It's amazing. Um, Steve is really uh, heavily involved in that conference and um, in the planning, especially on the captive husbandry side, 
which is awesome. Something that we're super excited to do every year that he's super excited to do and does such a wonderful job. And um, the TTPG conference is, and that, that conference, the TSA conference moves around. So you have to kind of pay attention to where it is. And the TTPG conference is in Mesa, Arizona. Um, the same weekend every year. Um, it's usually like, you know, starts with the field trip on the Wednesday and then the conference is Thursday and Friday. And then there's a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, auction and um, a reptile show on the weekend. So um, it's really cool. A lot of people go for the entire thing. Um, Chris Leone and I will be traveling of, of Garden State Tortoise, who we've mentioned like 10 times throughout this podcast and usually mentioned about four to five times throughout every single podcast. Um, he will be traveling down as well. And, uh, some other folks, Andrew Hermes is a, a Arizona tortoise compound will be there. Um, uh, another, obviously, um, turtle room person. So we're looking forward to it. Super excited. And, um, you know, if you're there and we've never met before, I'm very nice. I look at, at times I look mean just because I'm large and have a beard, but I'm the nicest person ever. Um, that's, I shouldn't speak in absolutes. I'm very, a very nice person. I'm probably not the nicest person ever, but close. So please come up and say hi. I'd love to chat with you about turtles and whatever else is going on in your life. Um, I used to be a social worker, so I'm pretty good at that too. So feel free to tell me what medications you're on and what type of things you have nightmares about, that sort of thing. It'd be great. You know, Steve, you still there? I am sleep? listening to you talk about the conference since, you know, I haven't been at that one. So, um, I can't can't say a whole lot about it like uh, I can about TSA. So I figured I'd let you, you know, just kind of run with that. I just want to make sure that I'm still alive. You're, yeah, I just I thought I lost you. I got really scared. You know. Um, so some comments from readers. Can I do that? Yeah, go for it. Some We've comments got from the time. What's that? If we if we have time, a little bit of time. Why not? I like that. I like that. Um, so one of our, um, viewers would like to know where they could find more information on the Indian spotted pond turtle or, uh, Geoclemmy's Hamiltonii. 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 says it that way. Yeah. Everyone just says Hamiltonii. Not E-I. Two I's is not both vowel sounds. It's so weird. Some, isn't it though? No, that it's not. The first I is short no matter which school of Latin. We're getting into this conversation again. Everyone, just so you know, Steve <laughs> is actually trained in Latin and is really smart, like scary smart, uh, you know, I'm, if you're following I'm not, me. I'm, so, I'm trained on, on some diction of Latin, yes, from singing. Oh, but I'm well, not trained in, in understanding Latin. You should have just went with it. I gave you a compliment. I gave you a compliment. You I, I you don't want to all our viewers. You don't have to downplay your knowledge okay you're a turtle person who actually has some sort of training in latin which there's not a lot of so in the hobby side anyway for sure fair enough, but, um, fair enough. so anyway it's e himotonei yeah e or it i but the first <laughs> i is short like it i'm just i'm gonna go to ttbg and i'm gonna talk to everybody about himotonei Everybody pronounces it. Everybody thinks the double I means you you use both long vowel sounds, which is no. Real. I don't think so. I think people don't care if it's a double I or single I. They just say I. Hamilton. A lot see the double I and go E I. 
<laughs> at least they're acknowledging that there's two eyes and not one, and it should be different. But I guess, most yeah. people say Hamilton eye anyway. So, um, the species in question is that large sun worshiping, to use Russ Gurley's um, quote from his book um, on the species. And I actually think that's one of the better places to get information is the um, Keeping and Breeding Freshwater Turtles book. If you don't have it already, it's still usually available. The price has gone up a little bit since it's been out of print. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, there will be a new version of that book soon at some point within the next couple of years because it really is like the bible of keeping and breeding freshwater turtles right which is a lot of what a lot of us do um or try to do anyway and um it has good information on that because russ obviously through the ttbg is very close with uh wayne hill who is the world's premier breeder of the species in florida and he uses above ground pools of to breed all these hamiltoni and he just breeds the living crap out of them and um has been very gracious in the past giving them you know for free for people who attend turtle night in florida uh, at the daytona expo um and that sort of thing and really has single-handedly made it so that if anyone ever tried to smuggle one of those into the usa it would just be like the dumbest move ever um they're really starting to spread out around the country despite esa uh endangered species act federal protection that um stipulates that they can't be sold across state lines. So, um, anywho, going down, uh, going on a tangent here, um, that book is probably the best. Um, I also think that in one of the Badiger, and this is, this is a really a big shame. The Badiger magazine does not get distributed to a lot. I've written for the magazine every year since 2014. And that just that information does not get disseminated a, a lot. Um, and that's that's kind of a cool thing because it makes it makes it a little more you know you kind of have to be on the in crowd to get the information, but a lot of it's really useful. And I do think that uh, Mr. Hill did Wayne Hill did write an article for the Badiger one of the years uh, recently, um, and it was very good. So um, you can contact the TTPG to get back issues, and if you're not a member of the TTPG, you should be because. Every year you get sent the Badiger magazine. So, you know, why not, right? Um, so yeah, that's probably the best place to get information on those on those species. It really shows. And if you don't live in warm weather climate, it's gonna be tough for you to keep those because they get huge and they really are sun worshiping species. Granted, they're not like Orlidia, but they do get pretty, pretty sizable. Right. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. So I want to answer that question from from our viewer. Um, you got anything else, Steve? Um, I don't think so. Sounds good. I don't think so. Okay, see you later. All right, sounds good. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for our fun announcement. Um, I don't think we have any other. Um, <clears throat> uh, I don't think we have any other. Uh, comments here uh there are a lot of comments and there are some 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 good ones and, and a few questions too but yeah. that, that one was one specifically that i definitely wanted to tackle because i knew the answer and um actually when i first started answering i didn't know the answer it popped in my head mid-sentence mid mid-sentence but that's how you do it yeah that's how that's how we do it we like to live dangerously we're living on the edge <laughs> <laughs> 
And now we've reached the final countdown. I'm not going to say that one. I can't, I can't hit that note. The final but, countdown? Um, listen, viewers, man, you guys are awesome. This is our 48th episode. Are you kidding me? I remember when John and I started doing this, like I said to him, man, if one person ever watches this, or at that point we were just well, it. if one person ever listens to this, if is what one you person said. ever listens to this, exactly. I will just be tickled. And really, like it's been amazing. You know, people actually know what the podcast is, the podcast is, and look forward to it. And you know, I get texts from people first Monday of the month, podcast tonight, question mark. Um, it means a lot. And um, even though you know this isn't necessarily the most popular reptile podcast going, um, I think we have something special and it's because of, of you guys and can we do it, you know, for you guys and, and just look forward to questions and comments and feedback. And, um, you know, if there are things you would like to see as a topic in the future, let us know, you know, we'd love to tackle stuff that you feel like you're not getting elsewhere. Um, one, one thing that I'll be doing in my talk for TTBG is, is, um, Pelusios Nanus is a little, um, uh, it's the dwarf African mud turtle and um, they've come into the um, pet trade a lot in the U S over the course of the past, like five years. And um, before that they were really kind of like un unheard of. And there's really been like no research on them at all. Um, so there's just like a real need for any information on them. And I happened to throw, I wrote something in the Batiger in 2015 and I threw together a little article about the, not even an article, like a, like a blurb for our website. And since then, I've been contacted so many times over the course of, of several years about them just because the information isn't anywhere else. And there's a lot of instances like that. And there are a lot of things where there still isn't a lot. Like you might not find really good comprehensive information on the Indian spotted pond turtle that, that we were just asked about. Um, and th that's a shame. Like there's a lot of people keeping this, this species, but I think sometimes maybe some of the information that was originally written around 15 years ago was on, you know, some of these websites that are now, um, no longer uh active so some of the information gets lost and then um may perhaps you know it was published in a book that you know isn't widely distributed uh like we talked about and um it's not at the you know fingertips of somebody who's just getting into a species now so if there's something like that that we could talk about because we happen to know where to get that information or have experience with the species or something like that like we would love to just have an episode where we talk about species that you're interested in that you want to know more about or interesting you know tidbits or happenings or things like that um things that interest us at this point maybe are not something that interests you so we want to make sure that we're staying in tune with you know what what stuff matters to you right definitely yeah yeah so let us know let us know you can reach out anytime before you know, the next one maybe and you know we're talking about this on air here but maybe that's something we could do for number 50. i like that we don't need to talk about getting a guess necessarily. We could just, if we start announcing it now, hey, send your questions for episode 50, the viewers, episode something like that. 50. Episode 50. What do you think? You like that? 50, we're going to talk about 50 species. 
Oh, that'd be okay. So there you go, viewers. There's your challenge. Ask one minute per species. About 50 different species. Whoo. That hurts. That hurts my head. Let's see what happens, ma'am. Can we talk about 50 different species? Uh, so Anthony and I'll talk about this more off air, and uh, we'll start getting some planning going on and you can follow our facebook page to hear more about this and how we're going to execute this all right i'm scared episode 49 is going to be like a trap episode it's going to be like we're, we're going to show up oh right brush our teeth. right yeah we're going to be wearing sweatpants and like half we need, we need to get a good guest for for next month then we have to let them carry us because we're not going to give a give a damn because it's episode 49 we're going to be waiting right, for 50 exactly. It's like episode 99 when we if if we can get to 99 it'll be the same thing right we're we're waiting for 100 we're playing the Cleveland Browns next game and then the game after that we're playing the Patriots and we have to figure out how the heck we're going to get all geeked up to play the Cleveland Browns Yeah pretty much That's bad man That's bad All right thanks for joining us everybody thanks for checking in for our awesome announcement um so the Turtle Room's going nonprofit if you just tuned in at the very last seconds of the show um also covered some other interesting topics tonight. And again, our condolences to the family of Carl Ernst, a mentor to all, even those who he's never met. Um, for Anthony Pierleone, I'm Steve Enders, and this is the podcast episode 48. Have a good night. Appreciate you guys.